And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. On the Skype line with us today is Dr. Peter Hammond from South Africa. Peter, it's an honor to talk with you today. Thank you so much, Dan. Good to be with you. There's quite a time difference between us. It's uh, We're recording this, and it's 1 p.m. here East Coast time, and it's 8 p.m. Cape Town time. So there's quite a difference in time, but there's also a difference in weather. Can you quickly describe what's the weather like in Cape Town right now? Yes, well, we're in the middle of summer here. It's <laughs> actually swelteringly hot. Uh, we're in shorts and uh, golf shirts and <laughs> uh, barefoot. Uh, it's um, yeah, we're in the southern hemisphere. So when you're cold, we're hot. <laughs> it's it's fascinating. Well, Peter, um, I am delighted to talk with you because uh, this past weekend, someone mentioned that he really enjoys hearing Peter Hammond, and it reminded me how important it is to keep in touch with you. Um, you've been in war situations before. You're, you're trained as a military man earlier in your life. You also have seen the ravages of totalitarianism. You were actually a prisoner probably more than once, and so you know firsthand a, a lot of the stuff that goes on. Uh, right now, we're hearing incessantly about the war in Ukraine and uh, Russia and i got to be honest with you, Peter, most of the mainstream media, I don't even believe anymore, because they spin things for their own political agenda, and it's really hard getting at the truth. Um, there's something behind all of this, or so it appears, and you wrote about it in a recent article, and you're talking about the Great Collapse that occurs before the Great Reset. Can you share a little bit of that information with our listeners, please? Thank you, Dan. Yes, I've got a lot of friends in Eastern Europe. Um, I've had the privilege of ministering throughout Eastern Europe before the Iron Curtain came down, back when we had to smuggle Bibles behind the Iron Curtain. So I've ministered throughout East Germany and Hungary and Poland, Yugoslavia, Czechoslovakia, Romania, Bulgaria, Albania. I've got many Ukrainian and Russian friends. And and I must say they taught me a lot um, uh, to understand our history because um, my Ukrainian friends remind us that, in fact, they've been betrayed by the Allies many times before. Mm. And uh, uh, to learn history from our friends in Eastern Europe, I'm so concerned when there are Christians on both sides. There's a lot of Christians in Russia and a lot of Christians in Ukraine. In fact, Operation World informs us that the largest number of Bible-believing born-again Christians in the whole of Europe, number, not percentage, is Russia. Mm. Second largest is Ukraine. Third largest is Romania. So we're talking about millions of Christians involved in this, and uh, there's friends of mine, including good friends who've uh, gone through our Great Commission courses and so on, uh, who are missionaries in Ukraine right now. Yeah. And so we, we feel uh, deeply uh, uh, concerned. I've got other friends who are missionaries in Russia. <laughs> so That's then right. there's South African farmers who are farming in Russia, and there's South African farmers farming in Ukraine. So we're getting a different perspective, and... Uh, for example, my, my friends um, in Ukraine say uh, they find hard to believe that, that the U.S. government really cares about them because they've betrayed them a few times before. Sure. And people may not remember, but Ukraine was actually freed by Germany in 1916, 1917, the First World War, and they were independent. And according to the Brest-Litovsk Treaty of March 1918, Germany insisted that Russia give independence to 
Latvia, Lithuania, Estonia, Finland, Poland, and Ukraine, mm. uh, and Georgia, and Armenia too, by the way. And uh, yet in 1919, through the Versailles Treaty, the Allies betrayed Ukraine back into the hands of the Soviet Union, mm. and millions of Ukrainians were slaughtered. Really? And then, not just under Lenin, but then Stalin, and the Holodomor, the uh, the um, starvation by hunger, uh, the, which killed about 11 million Ukrainians, and millions were forcibly repatriated into the Arctic hellholes of Siberia to work in the gulags as slave laborers and many start. So they suffered a lot, and that wasn't necessary. No. I mean, they were independent in 1918, and, and it's the Allies who forced them back under the Soviets. And then in the Second World War, they were liberated again in 1941, and many Ukrainians again celebrated. They were free, they were independent, and then they were betrayed by the Allies through the Yalta Agreement and Lend-Lease, which saved the Soviet Union from collapse and bolstered. No aid came to Ukraine. The aid went to Stalin's Red Army. And not only were they betrayed through the Yalta Agreement, but then after the Second World War, Operation Kielhall, over 2 million Russians and 1 million Ukrainians in Western Europe were forcibly repatriated at the point of bayonet by British and American troops into the hands of the Soviet NKVD. Mm who massacred most of them out of hand, consigned the rest to slave labor in the gulags in Siberia. And so, and this was sealed for 30 years. It was a total secret and people didn't know about it and only came out in 1975. But what a horrific um, way of being betrayed. Do you know at the end of the Second World War, uh, my friends tell me that Ukraine still had units fighting against the Red Army. In fact, for 10 years after the conclusion of the Second World War, units of the Ukrainian army, up to company strength, were operating, even with field artillery, oh valiantly fighting against Soviet oppression as late as 1955. But they never received any support from the Allies hmm. because what FDR called the arsenal for democracy seemed dedicated primarily for Joseph Stalin's communist dictatorship of the Soviet Union. So yes. you, know, you can understand why a lot of Ukrainians are skeptical <laughs> they well they they remind us that the first casualty in war is truth and we certainly getting a lot of propaganda over the news and um alexander solzhenitsyn said if we don't know our own history we'll simply have to endure the same mistakes and sacrifices and absurdities all over again and so yes um i look at the war in ukraine and i'm thinking this is about as avoidable a war as there ever was oh yes and um, it, it was not necessary. There, there's so many things that led up to it, but we can get that later. But, but the thing that we're concerned about is, is this part of the great collapse which the globalists want before the great reset? Now, right. this isn't a, this isn't a theory. This is the title of a book <laughs> written by <laughs> none other than Klaus Schwartz. Klaus Schwab, who's the founder and the head of the World Economic Forum (WEF), he wrote the book uh, COVID-19 in 2020 and the great reset so that's the title COVID-19 the great reset well with rising resistance such as in Canada Australia New Zealand uh, throughout Europe to this dragged out pandemic panic propaganda it now seems the military conflict in Ukraine has been presented by corporate media as unprovoked Russian aggression and that this is going to lead to an escalated war, which could lead to a great collapse, which then, of course, could be exploited by those globalists in order to turn to a great reset. And the great reset uh, really is, 
it's basically United Nations Agenda 21 and Agenda 2030. Yes. Agenda 21, of course, relates to the 21st century, although it was first designed in 1992 at the UN Conference on Sustainable Development in Rio de Janeiro. And 171 nations leaders signed this Agenda 21, which is basically massive urbanization, uh, depopulate uh, the rural areas, make people in human habitation centers, settlements in cities where they are dependent on the state. And Mm -hmm. the Great Reset, you could also call it a great revolution. I think when you think of our Great Reset, also think radical restructuring of everything, Mm. because that's, in fact, the words used by Klaus Schwab in his book, um, The Great Reset. And the goal is ultimately a global welfare state where everybody is dependent upon a global state for everything. And the Agenda 21 basically necessitates the abolition of faith, families, and nations. And their view of the future is is a, a world that is borderless and um, uh, propertyless. Oh, yes. Where nobody owns anything. Yes. And I look at this, and it's very much like the social Darwinian view of political progress. So in common with the Big Bang Theory of Evolution, many globalists who evolutionists believe that by burning everything down out of the ashes, Utopia will arise. Mm-hmm. And Marxist revolutionaries have long thought like this for a long time because if you blow up enough things, paradise will be established. I mean, after all, once upon a time there was nothing and then there was something and that something became an explosion which made everything. Yeah. And that included planets and dinosaurs and uh, you. And in 1987, I heard a liberation theologian Marxist, Alan Bursak, declare, out of the ashes of Pretoria, will arise the new Jerusalem. Mm. Now, these revolutionaries believe evolution leads to revolution. In fact, that's a quote from Stalin. Evolution leads to revolution. Mm. And they believe if you blow up and burn down the existing order, you can build back better. Now, that's not just a term that came about in the last few years for some certain political party. Build back better is a term that goes back to 1666 and the Sabbatan movement which is basically Luciferian and occultic, which really believed you've got to break every law, especially the laws of God, burn everything down so that you can build back better. Oh, that's interesting. This is actually the Great Reset. Yes, that's very interesting. Well, today we're talking with Dr. Peter Hammond, and he has a unique perspective, which, by the way, I agree with. And uh, he lives in South Africa. He's seen a lot of this world, and he's seen a lot of Eastern Europe. He's been a Bible smuggler earlier in his life. He was captured by the communists more than once, and uh, he was a a trained military man uh, years ago. And so he's got a lot of experience, and he has a wonderful heart for the gospel. Today we're talking about the war in Ukraine and Russia. And now you've mentioned so far that um, you have friends in Ukraine and Russia. And so uh, I think it's important for us to realize that this is not a simple relationship going on here. Um, you, you certainly have the sin of man at the at the heart of, of many things, many problems, but it's not like we have a really clear enemy. We think we do, but we have friends actually on both sides. Correct me if I'm wrong. We do, and I must say, as somebody who's traveled in these areas and sat in in their homes and at the dining room tables and in their churches and prayed in their prayer meetings, um. I don't see this the way that it's being portrayed in the media. Right. You know, this sort of 
unprovoked aggression, insanity. It's just the work of, of one man and so on. They're not looking at the big strategic picture. And a lot of right. Russians are saying, wait a minute, guys, it's not this straightforward. And in fact, uh, do you know that back in 2008, America announced that Ukraine was going to become part of NATO. And Vladimir Putin, as Premier of Russia, said "niet," and "niet" means "niet," and <laughs> right. repeated this under yeah. no circumstances. And uh, he even at the time said that would be akin to the Cuban Missile Crisis, where the Soviet Union was trying to build military bases in Cuba, which America quite rightly mm-hmm. said no to. Sure. And we're not. Uh, and do you know that that back in 2008, Russia applied to join NATO mm. and was refused. And imagine having Russia as your ally against. Red China and other threats. That like is a powerful point that has escaped a lot of our progressive leaders. Uh, say that again. Yes. So Russia has, on a number of occasions, from 2008 on, asked to join NATO, and they've been refused. And NATO's main purpose, North Atlantic Treaty Organization, which is the biggest military bloc on Earth, and uh, it includes the whole of North America, Canada and USA, and all of Western Europe, but now... And NATO has expanded dramatically. Now, the main purpose of NATO, which was a very good purpose, was to protect Europe from the Soviet Union, from the Warsaw Pact during the Cold War. And sure. it, it did a brilliant job. But the trouble is that uh, NATO has outlived a lot of its purpose. And it, yes, it has. In 1991, when the, uh, when the Soviet Union collapsed, the Iron Curtain collapsed, and the Soviet Union disbanded, the Warsaw Pact disbanded, a request was made. Uh, by the Russians to NATO saying, please guarantee that NATO will not expand eastwards. And mm. in fact, they were they were assured. I think your Secretary of State that time was Baker, and he said, not one, not one foot eastwards. Oh wow! Oh wow! Of course, of course, that has been violated. There's been a huge amount of of uh, going. Yes, it has. Um, NATO now includes just about the whole of the old Warsaw Pact. It includes everything from Latvia, Lithuania, Estonia, Poland, and it includes Czech and Slovakia and Hungary and Romania and Bulgaria and, of course, even Albania. But practically speaking, Ukraine has been treated like it's been part of NATO for a very long time. Under the NATO flag and wearing NATO badges, Ukraine forces were deployed to Afghanistan. And when people say, well, NATO is just defensive, well, what was NATO doing bombing Serbia to help the Muslim terrorists in Bosnia? And what was NATO doing bombing Libya, which caused this phenomenal tidal wave tsunami of millions of Muslim migrants pouring into Europe, yes. uh, destroying the stability there? What was NATO doing in Afghanistan? What was Ukraine doing under the NATO flag in Afghanistan? So now that Kazakhstan, for goodness sakes, uh, which is a huge area, uh, in part of the old Russian uh, Federation, they are also an ally of NATO. And so you can understand, if you look at a map, you can see a map of NATO, Russia's got a, a realistic complaint that they're being encircled by NATO. And NATO's only purpose right now is anti-Russia. And so Russia is resistant to globalism and resistance to internationalism, such as represented by the UN and New World Order, and they are very nationalistic. In fact, they're going through a real resurgence of nationalism. And um, Ukraine and Russia have always been very close together to such an extent that just recently, Vladimir Putin personally sponsored a beautiful, massive monument in in Russia, um, in Moscow, just outside the Kremlin, of Prince Vladimir with a massive cross, who is the first um, 
one converted to the Christian faith. Oh, my. Uh, and that was back in Kiev. Back in There's, there's a, a replica statue in Kiev itself back in 988 AD. 988 AD mm-hmm. uh, was marked the official conversion of Russia to to Christianity, and it started in Kiev. And, of course, Kiev, wow. Ukraine, was part of Russia at that stage. And so they are, as he said, uh, if he went to Kiev, first place it goes to the monument of uh, of uh, Prince Vladimir, after whom he's named, by the way. Uh, and uh, Prince Vladimir was, was the monarch who ordered the whole nation to turn to, to Christ, which there was mass baptisms from 988 AD and so on. Wow. And at any rate, uh, right now, Russia is going through a resurgence of Orthodox Christianity. 80% of the population are officially Orthodox members, baptized and good standing with the church. Wow. And uh, you know, they're running out of Bibles in, in Ukraine. There's been a run on of shops. Christian shops are pleading for more Bibles to come in. Mm. People are turning to the Lord. There's phenomenal Christian growth, and missionaries can't keep pace with the growth and the demand for Bibles in either Russia or Ukraine. So to me, it's an absolute tragedy to have these people pitted against one another. And That's to right. be honest, the, the friends we've got there are saying, uh, to a large extent, this actually was so avoidable because do you know, um, that as recently as January, Russia pleaded with America, with President Biden specifically, can you give guarantees that no American missiles will be placed in Ukraine? And Biden flatly refused to give it. Yes, and I, I want to stop you right there and, and lend support into what you're saying. I I actually sat down and watched Vladimir Putin's speech, you know, and they, they interpreted it and put the English below it. And sometimes I had to stop and I read the words, let them sink in. And I know this guy is a KGB. I know all of that. However, his big concern was the potential for missiles being right on his border. And you know what? I'm sympathetic to that. And I'm thinking, wait a minute. Why didn't we have a meeting of the minds here and save a lot of bloodshed? And, and I, I just... I just, I'm shocked at how this particular party that's in control right now in the United States and controls virtually all the media, we're excluded, but most of the big mainstream media is controlled by them. Uh, they want to go to war. They're crazy. Yes. So it, it's extremely uh, sad, and it's actually quite sinister. It's, it's, it's not just... It's sad for the people on the ground because especially yes. the poor Ukrainians, boy, have they suffered enough in the last century. Yes. They don't need any more of this. No. And I, I really see them being cynically abused for political reasons by people who are not even in their country. Yes. And uh, meddling in other countries is bad. Do you know this problem doesn't just go back to 2008 and NATO being um, starting to court Ukraine to bring Ukraine into NATO, which was seen as a real – that would be like – um, for example, Canada suddenly being aligned with Red China, you know, and Chinese bases being set up in, in Canada, you know, mm-hmm. that, that. But there's a huge border between Ukraine and Russia, and, and Ukraine and Russia are economically intertwined in so many ways. It's it's a, it's really in the backyard. So um, in 2014, when Obama was president of America, the CIA sponsored the Orange Revolution, the Color Revolution, which had violent mobs in the streets, riots, mm-hmm. and it toppled the elected government of Ukraine. And uh, there were people being killed in the streets. I mean, hundreds of people died in this uh, violent revolution of streets. Yeah. And the president who had to flee for his life was a personal friend of Vladimir Putin, and his government was allied to Russia. 
Now, in comes from 2014, a government that is arguably a client state of the United States and yes. arguably one of the more corrupt countries on earth. Uh, just look at the Bidens, for example, um, and the interlocking financial dealings and uh, shenanigans going on there, not to mention one of the biggest biological warfare laboratories in the world is in Ukraine, and it is overseen by Fauci, no less. Now, can I stop you there? I've been seeing yes. this. I didn't know you were going to say that. I've been seeing this on on a Telegram channel, that there's these bio labs in Ukraine. So is that true? Uh, yes, that's what I'm informed, that they actually are biological warfare laboratories, which right. are funded by America in Ukraine. Probably yes. doing things that aren't legal in America, by the way. Mm-hmm. Yep, and it should upset us. It, it should. So uh, you can understand that not only was toppling a friend of Russia uh, in uh, Kiev back in 2014 looked as a very hostile thing, but one of the first things they did in February 2014 was abolish the minority language rights for Russians in Ukraine and then refuse requests for autonomy in regions with a huge Russian majority population like Donbass, uh, where 95% of the population are Russian speaking, mm. uh, and then continuing to expand NATO and European Union eastwards, despite repeated warnings from Russia that this was a threat to their strategic security. So with hindsight, uh, you can see all the isolating, enforcing sanctions, ignoring Russia, threatening them. And then you have highly irresponsible comments made, such as by an American uh, Senate member of the Senate Armed Forces Committee, warning that if Russia dares step into into Ukraine, we will rain destruction on Russia. And you know, honestly, that's crazy. Irresponsible. You, you don't want this kind of incendiary talk. And it's, there's no. been a lot of irresponsible talk. And it's not just from one side. And I don't think we, if, if we want to learn something from this, we should sit back and say, you know, how bad would it have been to just say, no, we won't put any missiles in Ukraine. Yeah, yeah, keep the peace. Uh, no, Ukraine won't join NATO. I mean, how bad would that be? Ukraine would not be invaded now if some honest, uh, decent kind of guarantees yes. had been given. Yes. I've also seen a, like a visual that claims that some of the politicians, Biden and Kerry, Pelosi and Romney, all have children tied to working for gas companies in Ukraine. Uh, yes, I haven't had time to check it, but uh, I suspect that that is the case. We've heard about Hunter Biden, certainly, with Burisma. Yes, basically, there's a lot of complaints. And I haven't just heard these complaints from Russians. I've heard these complaints from Ukrainians mm. and South Africans in Ukraine. That there's a lot of what they call corporate cronyism and yes. corruption going on in Ukraine. And it's all tied to the Biden family and the whole Democrat Party. Yes. And, and and just look at this. I remember coming to America in 2014. And sadly, while I like the tea parties, um, the, the tea parties I was invited to speak at were, don't you think we should uh, bomb Russia and declare <laughs> Russia and invade Russia? Oh, they're crazy. You can't do that. And I was saying no. And, and they were talking about Crimea. And I said, do you know what happened the last time the Allies got involved in the Crimea? And have you heard the charge of the Light Brigade and things like this? But anyway, um, we were on the wrong side then. We were yeah. actually on the side of Turkey against the Christians, whilst Russia was trying to protect Christians from persecution by Turkey. Against the Christians, yes. I was just saying, can you find a place on the map? And uh, I was deeply disturbed that even conservative 
Christians, evangelicals, could be so quick to jump for the war rhetoric. And That's right. as Christians, we want to pray for a better way. You bet. I say send in the missionaries. Amen. Rather than send in the Marines. And, and instead of dropping bombs on them, how about send them Bibles? <laughs> Uh, there's so much more constructive ways of solving problems yes. than the idea that you just got to bomb people. And uh, I ought to remember back um, visiting America in the days of a bomb, and somebody was saying that, you know, these people overseas, they hate us because we're free. I said, that's not true. No. Switzerland's free, and nobody hates Switzerland. Mm -hmm. But the reason why many people hate America is you bomb them. If you'd stop bombing them that's and right. sanctioning them, you'd have a lot more friends in the world. So, you know, you just think uh, Switzerland mainly sends the Red Cross to these countries at war. There you and go. nobody hates Switzerland, really. And uh, I really think America could be a wonderful potential for good if they followed what George Washington said in his inaugural address, that America must avoid entangling alliances and not stay out of Europe's wars. Amen. Because, honestly, that's why many people went to America, to get away from it. Imagine the good that could be done if America was a, a neutral armed, neutral, like Switzerland, but positive Christian force around the world Amen. And with diplomacy, just like, for example, when Russia and Japan were fighting in 1905, it was Theodore Roosevelt, the president of America, who won a Nobel Peace Prize by negotiating peace between them and bringing an into that war, not by joining one of the sides, but by no. coming in as a neutral. Oh, it's a beautiful thing. And a benevolent neutral. I, I just really think that... Uh, U.S. foreign policy has taken a very wrong turn. Yes. Now, we're, we're talking today. We're at the end already. I, this went so fast with Dr. Peter Hammond. And, uh, Peter, maybe 30 seconds remaining. The hope of the gospel and just encourage our hearts that God really is in control. Well, yes, there is a phenomenal hunger for the gospel. People are streaming for Bibles. Bible shops are running out. The missionaries in, and pastors in Ukraine are pleading for Bibles, as are the Russians. There are Russian churches mobilizing for praying for peace. There's a lot of goodwill on both sides. Let's not look at these people as our enemies, but as brothers and sisters in Christ, and do what we can to support the churches on the ground and to pray for peace and for sanity to prevail, because really the solution here is so easy. If we turn to Christ, we don't need to be following I don't think the, any of these politicians really care about the good of the people on the ground. And we, we should call them out that, you know, a lot of what they say, the first casualty in war is actually the truth. <laughs> yeah. Let's ignore the propaganda and get back to proclaiming the gospel. Amen. So much more could be said, but that wraps it up beautifully. Dr. Peter Hammond, my dear brother, may God sustain you and watch over you and cause you to be successful and continuing to proclaim the gospel. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much, Dan. God bless. And dear listener, please join us next week for another edition of A Plain Answer.